Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 22 about what happened when God told Abraham not to sacrifice his son Isaac and what we should understand about God and how he put the ram sacrifice that he provided behind Abraham. Now, we have so much to be thankful for. Are you thankful for the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you thankful for thousands of years that the Jewish people preserved the Scriptures for us today so that we could better understand who God is and have His written Word to encourage us? Many of those faithful Jewish people in the Old Testament, as well as the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, would want us to reach their lost relatives. They are God's chosen nation of people, but most of Israel today, the vast majority, is lost. And Tom Cantor and all of us here at Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries want to reach God's lost nation of brothers and sisters. Now, will you help us to do that? With a gift amount of $10 or more of support to reach lost Jewish people, we will send you Tom Cantor's life story and a wonderful track, and also, How Would You Learn the True Meaning of Christmas? That's also another track that you can give out at Christmas time or Hanukkah. Support this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelism by calling us now at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Now, here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher on friendship with God. See, when it says from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure, that means that as Isaac got off that altar and Abraham saw him get off that altar, that Abraham saw Isaac coming out from the dead. And that's why it says that he came from the dead, from whence he also received him in a figure. See, the Greek word there in Hebrews eleven nineteen for figure is the word paraboli, which is obviously where we get our word parable from. So it means that as Isaac got off that altar of death, that Abraham saw a great parable. He saw a great analogy. He saw a great comparison there of God raising from the dead. And Isaac getting off that altar is an analogy. An analogy of the Lord Jesus Christ as the firstfruits being raised from the dead. As he said in Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Amen. All the people said, amen, along with the Lord. All right, good. So now, what we read now in verse 13, it's very important for us as it describes what happens to a person, particularly a Jewish person, as he makes the Lord Jesus Christ his Savior. See, it says there in verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. So first we see that Abraham lifts up his eyes and he looks. He looks. It's very natural for a person, you know what comes very natural to us? To look at ourselves. We naturally have this bent to be introspective. I don't know why we do that, but we like to do that. We like to get caught up with ourselves and with our problems. We fall right into the trap, the Proverbs 18.2 trap, where it says, The fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. See, a fool has one delight in life, and that's he can look inside himself. See, that's why many people are attracted. I always found that I was going to college. So many people were attracted to psychology, and I thought to myself, they have so many problems, so many social problems. Those are the people who get attracted to psychology, you know, <laughs> disorders. And I understood that they wanted to study psychology because they had psychological problems. And so a person who's preoccupied with analyzing himself, he'll never come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's too busy, lost in the delight of analyzing himself. So when it says in verse 13 that Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, we understand the symbolism behind the importance of looking away from himself 
And he looks away from himself. He looks away from all the problems of himself. He looks there. And then it says in verse 13, in verse 13, where does it say that the ram was in relation to Abraham? That's a question. Behind him, right? Good. Behind him. All right. See, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, that means we're supposed to stop and really look at this. <laughs> behold, behind him, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. The ram was not in front of him, which would be maybe symbolic of Abraham progressing to the ram. The ram was not on the side of Abraham, which may have been like a symbolic of a co- whatever. The ram was behind Abraham, which is symbolic of Abraham having his back to the ram. See, this has particular meaning for the Jewish people because the ram represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And the ram's not in front of the Jewish people. He's not on the side of the Jewish people. He's not in front of Abraham. He's not on the side of Abraham. It's behind Abraham, meaning that when the Jewish people discover the Lord Jesus Christ as their God, they're going to discover that they have turned their back on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what it says in John 1.11. He came unto his own, his own received him not, paraphrased, they turned their back on him. In Isaiah 53, 2-3, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, the Jewish people speaking, when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. So what happens? Verse 3 of Isaiah 53, he's despised, he's rejected of men, and therefore he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He is despised. We esteemed him not. See, in these verses in Isaiah 53, it just keeps going over and over and over again uh, how much they turn the back to him. No beauty that we should desire him. So what do you do when there's some, something not desirably beauty? You turn the back. You put him behind. He's despised and rejected of men. What do you do when a person is despised and rejected of men? You put him behind. Turn the back. He's despised, we esteemed him not. What do you do when you despise and you assign no value to a person? You put him behind, the back. And God describes this so graphically in Jeremiah 2.27 when he says, he says, they have turned their back unto me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. They're going to make about face. Another place in Jeremiah 32, 33, God again states the same thing about the Jewish people. He said, they have turned their back and not the face. Though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not hearkened to receive instruction. This is a great warning for us. It's a great warning for us that when God speaks to us about what he wants us to repent of, to change, that we turn to him the face and not the back. So Israel is described as not only turning their back to God and not their face, but God has another description for them in Zechariah 7.11 where he says, but they refused to hearken and they pulled the shoulder and stopped their ears. They should not hear. See, that's very graphic. You can see God coming alongside and he puts his hand, you know, if you're, you do that to a kid sometimes and you can tell exactly if that kid's rebellious or not. He just get your hands off me. You know, pull the shoulder away, you know. And God comes along and he tries to stop a person in their sin and tries to reason with them. And instead of that person turning and says, what have I done wrong and how do I need to change? He says, get your hands off me, God. And he pulls the shoulder away. And God doesn't tolerate that forever. And this turning the back to him, this not facing him, this pulling the shoulder away, it reaches a limit where God says that, you know what he's going to do? Exactly the same thing. In Jeremiah 18, 17, he said, I will scatter them as with an east wind before the enemy. I will show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. So the Jewish people turning their back 
to the Lord Jesus Christ, puts the Lord Jesus Christ behind them. And that's why it's so symbolic that Abraham finds the ram, in verse 13, behind him. And so that's very important in verse 13, and that's why it's prefaced, the position, with the word behold. Whenever the Bible uses the word behold, it means surprise, this is not what you expect, stop and do a seal on this one. Behold, behind him. It speaks of how surprising it is and how surprising it will be for the Jewish people when they finally discover that the Lord Jesus Christ is their Messiah who they put behind them. So it shows us that. Next read in verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. So when Abraham sees this ram and he's caught by his horn there in this bush, Abraham realizes, oh, this is the ram that God has provided for me to offer. That's what he realizes. And he lifts up his eyes, he sees this ram, and he sees the ram that God has provided. So the fact that God provided the ram, that reminds us of how the Lord Jesus Christ is the provided lamb of God. Because he was sent, and that's the word, sent. And that's the word he used after the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, or the next verse, John 3, 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. And in 1 John 4, 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. See John 3:17. God sent his son. Galatians 4:1. God sent forth his son. 1 John 4:9. God sent his only begotten son. So the ram now is caught by his horns, not a coat of his skin. He's caught by his horns because if the ram was caught say with thorns for example on his skin, then the lamb would have been blemished and it wouldn't have been a suitable sacrifice, but caught by his horns He was able to remain unblemished. And that reminds us how the Lord Jesus Christ was without sin, unblemished, as it says in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And in Hebrews 4.15, it's emphasizing that too. We have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. In Hebrews 7.26, for such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. In Isaiah 53.9, it says he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. And 1 John 3, 5. You know he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Without blemish. See, all these statements describing the Lord Jesus Christ, unblemished, without sin, like the lamb, or the ram, caught by his horns there. A lamb, 1 Peter 1, 19. A lamb without blemish, without spot. Hebrews 4, 15. Without sin, Hebrews 7, 26. Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Isaiah 53, 9. No violence, neither any deceit in his mouth. 1 Corinthians 5, 21. Knew no sin. 1 John 3, 5. In him is no sin. All these verses keep emphasizing to us that he's without blemish. He's sinless. He's so sinless and so without blemish that before he goes to the cross to bring out 
how qualified he was to be the sacrifice, he says to his enemies in John 8, 46, which of you convinceth me of sin? Go ahead, in other words, he was saying, point out the blemish that you see. Point out the spot. And they couldn't. Now, we see the steps that Abraham took in verse 13. He sees the lamb, and it says, Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. So those three verbs up there in verse 13, very important. Because they're describing the decisive event where we see that it was not enough for Abraham just to lift up his eyes away from himself and look and recognize that the ram was God's provided unblemished sacrifice. It was not enough. Abraham had to go to the ram. He had to take the ram and he had to offer the ram. And in the same way, it's not enough for a person to look to God and recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ is God's provided sacrifice for his sins, a person must come to the Lord Jesus Christ and take the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. As he said in John 5.40, you will not come to me that you might have life. So in order to be saved, a person, number one, has to, as Abraham did, lift up his eyes and look. He has to look away from himself to God. Number two, As Abraham found the ram behind him, especially for a Jewish person, he has to recognize that his God and Savior is the one he's turned his back on, along with all the other people, by despising and rejecting him. And number three, as Abraham saw the ram unblemished, so the person must recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only sinless man who's ever been on planet Earth. And as Abraham went and took the ram and offered the ram, so must a person go to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him personally to receive eternal life. Now, at the end of this verse, in verse 13, it's very interesting, because we see a very significant phrase. And it says this, he offered him up for a burnt offering, and here's the phrase, in the stead of his son. This shows the purpose, what was actually happening here. He was offered in the stead of his son. See, with that phrase, in the stead of, which is actually one Hebrew word. With that phrase, in the stead of, we have now opened up for us the whole Levitical system of sacrifices. It's all just become blossomed out for us with that one word there. And so what does that word mean? See, when Eve had a son after Abel was murdered by Cain, she used this word. This word in the stead of is the word tachat, tachat. And so she said in Genesis 4.25, Adam knew his wife again. She bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said she hath appointed me another seed instead of tachat, Abel, whom Cain slew. Getting a picture of this word. When Jacob was angry with Rachel, Jacob never had to worry about his heart beating too slowly as long as he, Rachel was around. <laughs> She was the spice of his life. But anyway, but in this one particular time, Rachel demanded children from Jacob. Just get a picture of the scene. Grab them. Give me children or else I die, she said. So this got under his skin, you know. And so what happened was he used the word tachat to her when he said in Genesis 30, verse 2, Abraham's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in God's stead, tachat, who hath withheld thee from the fruit of the womb? That's again, that word. And when King David, who was going to take over the kingdom, and so King David wanted to make it very clear that it was Solomon who was going to take over, succeed him, and so he used the word tachat. At that time, in 1 Kings 1, 34-35, and he's giving instructions, he said, let Zadok, the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, appoint him their king over Israel, and blow you the trumpet, and say, God save the king Solomon. 
And then you shall come up after him that he may come and sit upon my throne, for he shall be king in my stead, tachat. And I have appointed him to be a ruler over Israel and over Judah. See, tachat, what we see in all these cases here. Tachat means to be in the place of, to be a substitute for. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in just one moment here on Friendship with God. We want to encourage you to support the Friendship with God radio program. Maybe you listen to this Bible teaching, Old Testament teaching radio program while you're driving or listening at home or downloading and listening to these messages on the go. And you're growing in your knowledge of God and with your walk with God and friendship with God. We want to encourage you to just support this Bible teaching radio program. Tom Cantor received so many encouraging phone calls, letters, and emails about how you enjoy this Bible teaching radio program. We want to encourage you to support it so we continue airing on this station in this city. Call us now or after the program at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or go online to friendshipwithgod.org and donate online to support this Bible teaching radio program, or again, 800-247-3051. Now let's continue our Bible study with Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. And so there's Abraham, and he's looking at Isaac on the altar, and he sees Isaac as he was described by God in the second verse, his son, his only son Isaac, whom he loves. And there's a cry from Abraham's heart. And he's saying, here's the altar, but isn't there a substitute for Isaac to die in his place? Isn't there a tachat for Isaac? And there's the altar, and the altar's built, and the altar's hungry. The altar's crying out. There must be judgment, the altar says. There must be a sacrifice. If not Isaac, then where is the substitute for Isaac? Where is the tachat for Isaac? And then there's Isaac, and he's on the altar, and Isaac from his heart, he's saying, do I have to die? Do I, isn't there a substitute for me? Isn't there a tachat for me? So in essence, Isaac again on the altar is repeating the question that he asked in the seventh verse when he says, behold the fire. Oh, now it's a little bit closer to him and the wood, but he says, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Where is the lamb that is the tachat for me? And so Abraham, the altar, the Isaac, they're all looking for the tachat. They're looking for the substitute for Isaac to die in his place. Then comes from verse 13, the impact when Abraham lifts up his eyes and looks and behold, behind him, the ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. As if the ram answers and Abraham's question, and the ram is answering the altar's question. The ram is answering Isaac's question. Where's the substitute? Where's the tachat? And what does the ram do when he's caught in the bush? What does the ram do when he's caught in the bush? He shakes the bush. He's trying to get out. And so he's shaking the bush. He's making a racket back there. And with that noise, the ram is saying, look at me. Look at me. Behold me. Take me. I'm the substitute. I'm the tachat. He says, now Isaac can go free. Then we see that impact here in Abraham, verse 13. Abraham took the ram, offered him for burnt offering in the tachat, in the stead of his son. Abraham was saying, the substitute's been found. Isaac can go free. And the altar is saying, the substitute's been found. Isaac can go free. And Isaac especially is saying, that the substitute is found. I can go free. And so Isaac could go free because in essence, the ram was saying in the bush, look at me. I'm the substitute. Let Isaac go free. So when the Lord Jesus Christ is arrested and he's in the garden of Gethsemane there, and he wasn't alone. His disciples were with him. And his disciples also were in danger of being arrested. See, the one who had the most peace about this was Peter, of course. You know, he <laughs> had no worries at all. He just was a little ear-cutting ceremony. But anyway, what happened? 
there in the garden is that the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 18, 8 through 9, Jesus answered and he said, I have told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. See, when the Lord Jesus Christ said at that moment, I am he, it was like he was the ram in the bush and he was saying, I am he. It was like he was the ram saying, look at me. Behold me. I'm the takat. I'm the substitute. And when the Lord Jesus Christ said, if therefore you seek me, let these go their way. As, as if the ram was saying, sacrifice me instead and let Isaac go free. And when he said in the garden, I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. He was saying, sacrifice me instead of these and let my followers go free. To the father, he was saying, sacrifice me instead. Let my followers go free. To us, he's saying, sacrifice me instead. You go free. And that's why right after he said that, in John 18, 8 there, he said, I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. That's why it says in the next verse, in uh, John 18, 9, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake, of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. He lost none of his followers because he became their substitute in the judgment that they deserved. And Isaac did not die that day on Mount Moriah because the ram was Isaac's substitute for his sacrifice. And when that happened, Isaac got off of there and said, that was a close one. No, I don't know what he said. I'm glad that ram's there. But you know, what's interesting is that we don't know where this ram came from. We don't, we, we, you know, that's not given to us. But what's interesting here is that there was, only ram, there was only one ram. There was only one ram that was caught in that bush. Abraham didn't have to choose. Well, let's see, should it be this ram or this ram or this ram? You know, there's a whole herd of rams that ran into this bush. And that's not what happened. There was just one ram in the bush. And in the same way, there are not several sacrifices for a man to choose for God's substitute for him. There's only one, as the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In John 10, 9, I am the door. In John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. In John 6, 51, I am the living bread. In John 15, 5, I am the vine. In John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. In John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And so therefore it was proclaimed in Acts 4, 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. See, just as the ram shook the bush, and there's just one ram there, and God pointed Abraham by all that noise, that here it is, the ram is sitting there, and the ram is saying, here I am, look at me, take me as a substitute, and so the Lord Jesus Christ, he says in Isaiah 45, 21 through 22, there's no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. Very important. There's none else, there's none beside me. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, there's none else. See, in these verses here, God is saying that there's no God beside him. There's another verse where it says he looked around to his side just to confirm. <laughs> he said, nope, I don't see anybody. <laughs> but he goes on, he said, there's no God beside me. And then he said that he is a Savior, that all men everywhere to the end of the earth, even Nigeria, and that's pretty much the end of the earth. Ethiopia is more the end of the earth, but anyway. That they should look unto him and be saved. And so when he speaks of himself as a savior God, 
There's one place where we see God as a Savior, and that's the cross. That's the cross. And so when he says, a Savior, that there's none beside me, and then he goes right away in Isaiah, the verse 22, and says, look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God. What he's saying is that, we, we ask the question, where's he saying that? Look unto me, and be ye saved. He's on the cross. Is on the cross where he's saying that. On the cross, the Savior God says the words of Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Another enlightening and edifying message from the Old Testament from Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher here on Friendship with God. And if you enjoy Tom Cantor's teaching, you'll love his writings. Now, Tom Cantor has written a powerful book that details 194 prophecies and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ being the Messiah. Now, this book will show scriptures comparatively from the Old Testament prophecy with the New Testament fulfillment. Now, over 500 scriptures are denoted in this Prophecy and Fulfillment book by Tom Cantor. This amazing study reveals how Jesus of Nazareth was not just a historic figure, but the fulfillment of God's foretold plan to bring salvation to the Jews and Gentiles alike. A must-have for any Christian at Christmas time, and a great gift to give any Jewish person who may be searching for the truth and evidence of who the Jewish Messiah really is. Now, you can order this book, Prophecy and Fulfillment, by Tom Cantor by calling 800 247 3051, 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051. You can also order it online at our online bookstore located at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. Lots of Tom Cantor resources there, some for free, some for purchase, and also many creation resource materials. And you can also download Tom Cantor's messages for free at friendshipwithgod.org or on itunes.com. Thanks for listening and join us tomorrow.